You're listening to Three Valleys Radio. Welcome to our In Conversation program. Every week we talk to a sporting personality to find out just what makes them tick. From their early childhood, to their professional career, to their musical tastes. We cover it all. So sit back and enjoy as we talk to this week's special guest. Here on Three Valleys Radio. Good evening and welcome to In Conversation. Now, tonight's guest is somebody that you're going to get used to listening to on Three Valleys Radio because he has agreed to join us uh, to do a, a cricketing programme. But above all, his main claim to fame is that he is the new Somerset County Cricket Club bowling coach. He's also played for them and Gloucestershire and um, Yorkshire. And it is none other than Mr. Stephen Paul Kirby. How are you doing, mate? How are you doing? doing? You all right? Yeah, I'm very good, mate. I'm very good. And it's uh, very good of you to come on and join us on the, on the show tonight. Um, have you had a busy yeah. day today? It has, actually. It's been good. Um, been really good. Yeah. Um, last few weeks have been excellent, really. Yeah. Sort of just got myself back into um, sort of the, the training with all the Somerset boys. So it's been brilliant, actually. The environment is amazing. Obviously, it's quite strange times at the minute, isn't it? Mm. As we're mm. all experiencing. Uh, hopefully, there's some light at the end of the tunnel on that front. But, yeah, that's um, so. No, but it's been, it's been really good, actually. It's been really good. We're obviously under certain restrictions, what we can and can't do. Uh, but the lads are training very well. Good. Well, that's great. Well, let's let's talk about you now. Um, you were born in 1977, 4th of October, in Bury, Greater Manchester. So are you a, a red or a blue? Oh, gosh, I'm a red. My dad said that's to me, right, that's all right. if, anybody else. If you're a red, that's I, fine. I, when I was four-year-old, he said, I'd kick me out. So I better... Yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. only four at the time, I thought I'd better... Yeah, I better do what he said. Really. Yeah, no, good man. That's all right. As long as you're a red, because uh, I couldn't possibly have an interview with a blue one here if I could have avoided it. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, like you, I've supported them since I was sort of knee high to a grasshopper almost. So, uh, um, I take it that the nickname Tango is to do with the Barnet, is it? No, definitely not. I don't know where I don't know where they get that from. <laughs> no. Adrian, I tell you what it is, mate. I tell you what it was. It was from Richard Blake in the Yorkshire lads. Uh, you ever seen that advert? You know the advert, the tango advert, where yeah. they had that big orange cloak. You yeah. run up and slap people across the face. That's like that. right. Yeah. Well, well, you don't go slapping people around the face, do you? No, I don't. No, <laughs> no. But you know when you've been tangoed, and that was the, yeah. The <laughs> oh so God, I might get tangled myself. Then I don't know. <laughs> um, anyway, you're six three, six foot three, which is pretty tall. Uh, right-handed mm. batter and a right-hand fast-medium bowler. Now, take us back to when you first started playing cricket. The very, and I don't mean by professional, I mean when you were maybe, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight, whatever sort of age you started at. Mm, mm. Well, 
I was very lucky, really. Um, originally from Haywood, um, mm. and Haywood Cricket Club played a, um, a club called the Crimble, which is at the bottom of um, Mutual Hill, or the Mutual Mill there, um, which is the other side of Haywood, out towards Rochdale. And it's right down in Queen's Park, basically. Beautiful, beautiful ground, very, very large. And from a young lad, obviously, since I could ever remember, mum and dad and and everybody all family used to go down to our cricket club so it was always part of the part of me really mm -hmm. um and some amazing memories there for the whole family um so like i said i was sort of playing cricket from around the ages of four or five um just coming down watching haywood i mean they had some hell of a hell of a teams going on all the way through my younger ages and they had i don't know how much you know about sort of central lancashire league stroke lancashire league pros but they would have some real, um, you know, I remember watching Kirtley Ambrose Bowl, for example. I remember yeah. watching, you know, uh, Ezra Mosley and and uh, Carl Hooper, et cetera, et cetera. So I've always been brought up, um, you know, with the cricket in me in my veins, really, because my dad loved it, mum loves it. And so Hayward Cricket Club um, was, was where we went. You know, mm. it's just where we went at the weekends. It's where, you know, it's... And eventually started playing cricket when I was about 11. Uh, right. Well, sorry, no. Properly started playing when I was seven. I played my first under-13 game when I was when I was seven years old. Yeah. And there was a funny story, actually, Adrian. I, I ended up... I used to play tip and run. Right. Um, where you, you remember it, but you used to hit the ball, tip. used to be called tip and run, and you used to run no matter what. Well, I used to drop my bat. <laughs> and this was all on the... This was all on the sort of, like, on, on the outfield and stuff. So my first ever under-13 game, I'm padded up to the nines. I hit the ball, I throw the bat in the air, and off I run. Mm. <laughs> I have to go back, collect the bat, and come back again. That, that, that was in the middle of my game. So, yeah, no, I'm Hayward Creek Club. I'm very, very uh, appreciative of my connection with. Um, they're a club I always keep in contact with, and I owe them a great deal. A little bit like me in North Perrot, I suspect, because, you know, once you get a cricket club that is close to your heart, it's very difficult not to uh, stay close to your heart, right to the, to the bitter end sort of thing. Very true, very true. And I think it's something that, um, well, taught me a huge amount. Mm. Um, not just, not just you know, you, you meet such an eclectic mix of people, don't you, at yeah, cricket clubs. Yeah, you know, yeah. it helps you helps you with people skills for the rest of your life, really. Mm. Um, and I think it's a, a big thing for any family to be involved in some type of sports club in some way or other. It's something I'm a big advocate of, whether that's cricket, rugby, football, I think it's important. Yeah, I quite agree. I quite agree. So, so seven uh, under sevens, no, sorry, under thirteens. You said, and you were seven, weren't you? <laughs> okay, time for some music. And the first choice we've got from Steve is called "Time for Steve's First Musical Choice," and it's from a band called Hot Natured, and it's called Benediction.
Addiction there by Hot Natured. Um, so, so that was your first game. But how did your career progress from that particular point? Then, yeah, look, I mean, so from the age of sort of thirteen years old, having watched people like Curtly Ambrose be pro at Haywood, I always wanted to be a fast bowler. Yeah. I watched him bowl; he was just so languid and so easy, and I just wanted to be like him, really. Yeah. And so, from the age of sort of twelve, thirteen years old, I started to realise I could get it down there at a decent clip. And I was so thin and so, like, you know, like any 12, 13-year-old kid, mm. action was all over the place. But I I just loved it. I just loved the, the you know, the... I used to bat as well. <laughs> I yeah. used to be the decent batter towards the end of my career. But certainly at that point, I didn't. I just loved cricket. And basically, I then went and trialled 13, 14 for Lancashire. Right. And that's where I played with people like Phil Neville, um... And, well, Phil Neville was slightly older than me, but I played slightly above my age group. And then Andrew Flintoff was in that side. Maybe you know a guy called Chilton, uh, Mark Chilton from Lanx. So they had a good side at that time, and I got in. I got in and played sort of 13 years old for the under-14s for Lanx. Went all the way through the Lancashire age groups. Did You know, really enjoyed it. But around 16, 17, I never really... Well, they had a massive melting pot of players at Lanx. And, and mm. it was one of them that I thought, you know, 
they're not they're not going to give me a go here um and it was really hurt me actually because i really wanted to put the red rose on yeah and be a lanky. but um and then i got i got spotted actually an interleague game between the central Anxia league and the northern league and it was a guy called russell cobb who i am still hugely friends with and he's a massive influence on my career um, he's actually Josh Cobb's dad, who's currently playing for North Ants. Right. And uh, he spotted me in this game. And he actually came down to watch a batter, like called Twist, even Twist, I think. I got him out. And the mm. next thing I know, I got asked to come down and get on a YTS scheme uh, with Leicestershire on £25 a week, I might add. Cool. Um, Big money. Yeah, I was rich. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Jack Birkinshaw then took me under his wing. I then got involved in a club called Kibworth Cricket Club, mm-hmm. who again are another big club close to my heart. Um, from 17 years old, lived with a beautiful lady called June. Sorry, Jean, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, she, was a, she was a sort of, um, I'd say, sort of 60-year-old, sort of just lost her husband uh, and got a really good link with Kibworth and knew Jack Birkinshaw really well. And then, therefore, she looked after me. And now... You've got to imagine a 16, 17 year old lad leaving, moving away from home. Yeah. You know, she became almost my mum. Right. Um, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. So good to me. Mm. Um, and then I therefore uh, got got my first contract at Leicester at 18. Uh, got my career threatening back injury when I was 19. So I never, I thought I'd never play cricket again, to be honest with you. It's a really messy injury that I had in my lower back. Mm. So before my career even started, I thought it was over. I had to completely change my action. Yeah. Um, restructure my action completely. And they said to me, if you bat bowling quick by August of that year, uh, which I did, I got back bowling quick against India, we'll give you another contract. And in October, they sacked me at Leicester. Well, was only nice 19. Yeah. yeah, I felt awful. And to be honest, at the time, Adrian, I thought it was the worst thing that had ever happened. I, I thought my world had ended. It cut me off my knees and... But actually, looking back on it, it's the best thing that ever happened. Because I, I, I didn't realise what I got. I weren't fit enough, strong enough, mentally or physically, or had the wasn't robust enough to be a professional cricketer at that point. Mm. So I need that bit of adversity in my life. Although it was horrendous, showed me exactly how much I loved the game and how hard I had to work to become a pro. And how old um, were you at this point then, Steve? Nineteen. Nineteen. Yeah. 18, Nineteen. And then I had two years out selling floors for a fantastic company called West Coates, mm. playing playing in the Ribblesdale Lancashire League. Uh, took only twenty five overs from one end. Yeah, um, couldn't move. For, I couldn't move till Wednesday after that other weekend. Um, <laughs> but and and it taught me a lot. And uh, I went away trialing left, right, and centre. But I, to be fair, I never thought I'd ever get another crack. And then I was lucky enough to get. Well, quite a few trials with different counties, but one in particular with Yorkshire, and then that's a story in itself, Adrian. That. Um, well, tell us it then, you know. But I mean, it seems ironic that you wanted to play for the Red Rose, and you ended up playing for the White Rose. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so absolutely. How did that come about then? Well, that in itself is probably one of the most, um, I don't know, Royal Rovers type story, mm-hmm. um, because. Like, like I said, I'd, I'd, I'd spent two years trying to get back into county cricket, yeah. having been released. Then I'd, I'd started to work, and, and I was doing okay in sales, working for a fantastic company, like I say, West Coast. And the guy who was my boss 
he's a friend, of the, huge friend of the family, a guy called Cal Nickel, who, who he is just an amazing man. Mm. Um, but at that time, he only gave me a certain amount of holiday, very supportive to my cricket. And um, I, I'd played a few second team games, done all right. I think I took about 15 wickets, I think, in, a, in about two or three games. Yeah. I've got no holiday left whatsoever. Anyway, Steve, Steve Alden rings up and he goes, yeah, lad, he said, uh, are you fixed tomorrow to come and play for us again? And I said, oh, my God, so I can't, mate. I'd love to, but I can't. I, it, what do you mean you can't? I said, I've got no holiday left. Told you, you know, I'm... Um, he said, well, that's a shame, he said. He said, because we're playing the first... You know, we're playing Kent tomorrow. It's in the first team. I'll have to ask somebody else. And I literally almost fell off my chair. <laughs> and he's gone... He's, I said, what, the first team? I said, well, I thought the game's already started, because it has. It was day yeah. two. And... Um, he said, yeah, he said, look, Oggy's been called up to the England squad, but don't worry, if you can't play, I'll get someone else. Mm. I said, leave it with me. <laughs> leave it with me a couple of minutes. Yeah. I said, I'll ring you back. Um, so I, I, I put the phone down, and I was so excited. I, I went down to see Carl, my boss. I said, Carl, I need uh, I need time off tomorrow. Yorkshire want me to play. And he said, oh, listen, I've told you, you've got no holiday left. You're not having it. You have to make a decision. You either play... You're playing cricket, or you, or you're going into business. Going work, yeah. And he and I said, well, look, I said it's the first team, and he said, right, wow. He said I thought they'd already started. I said, yeah, I know, but he said leave it with me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna drive you up there myself. And he did. He drove me all the way up to Edinburgh. Oh, that's all right. And that's I rang Steve all... Oldham back. Yeah. I said, and they put me in the Wheatwood Hall Hotel. Yeah. Which is a posh hotel. It had like four posts of bed and. All right. Jacuzzi in the bathroom. I never slipped a wink, mate. I thought you were going to say you had a dentist appointment to suddenly appear out of the blue, but obviously not. No. <laughs> so, uh, no, so that, so that was that was a weird story. So that was Yorkshire. And what was the game like? How did you perform in that particular game? Well, I do remember, like I said, not slept a wink. Really nervous. Like I said, uh, Cal had driven me up there. He was brilliant, and. Um, and I remember uh, Wayne Clark picking me up in the morning and I went in and he, uh, I had all my kit. I had this, anyway, they give me all this New Yorkshire kit in this big black bin liner. Yeah. And I walked into the dressing room. Now, bearing in mind, right, half of them lads I've been seeing on the telly the week before, they're my heroes, yeah. like Darren Goff, yeah. Chris Silverwood, Ryan Sidebottom, Michael Vaughan, yeah. you know, Darren Lehman, etc., Craig White. You know, they're all like superstars and I'm now in the dressing room with them. <laughs> um, and, I, and I was like, and I, I, I sort of walked over to the opposite end of this dungeon dressing room, which was in what used to be the underneath where the rugby stand was. And I remember, I thought, Christ, I can't talk to anybody because they're all. And I, and every single, and when I, like I said, I, I went to sit down in the far end of this dressing room, and every single person came up and sort of shook my hand and said, "Look, Kurt, you've heard a lot about you. Good luck today," sort of thing. They made me feel so welcome. It was amazing. Yeah, brilliant. Um, and it was, and yeah, I did all right. Took took a few wickets in that game and never looked back. More music now, and this time it's Oasis and Champagne Supernova.
many special people change How many lives are living strange Where were you while we were getting high Slowly walking down the hall Faster than a cannonball Where were you while we were getting high Someday you will find me A champagne supernova in the sky Someday you will find me Carving in the landslide In a champagne supernova A champagne supernova in the sky
Well, that was Oasis and Champagne Supernova. So, so how old were you at this point? 19, did you say? 20. 20. 20, 21. So, so how, how no, does it... Sorry, on. I was going to say, how does a 20-year-old cope with a situation just as you've described it? You know, Darren Goff, all these people that, that you know, absolute superstars, and you, you suddenly sort of creep in them. I mean, how did you... That must have been... I don't know. You know, I don't know how I'd cope with something like that. You must have been in awe of the whole lot of them. It's kind of like me walking into the, the dressing room at Old Trafford, I suspect. You know, I, I, yeah. Oh, it was. It did feel like that, Adrian. It did. And like I said, I, I'd never played for class cricket. I sort of understood a little bit. I played against India and I played a couple of games for Leicester, but not in a championship match. So, mm. you know, come, coming to play for Yorkshire was a hell of a privilege because. You know, they love their cricket up there. Absolutely love their cricket. And, you know, walking in to that type of dressing room, yeah, it was daunting, but I can't really explain what it was like. It was something that I'd, you know, I just weren't letting that opportunity go no matter what. Yeah. You know, to get that second crack again was something I was so proud of. Um, and I was like a like a cage tiger, mate, literally. I did all right in the game, took about seven for... You know, I did great, um, and it was a, it was one of those scenarios where I don't think I've ever bowled as fast in my life, and mm. I'd, I'd visualised every wicket, if I'm honest. Yeah. My first wicket was Rocky, and it, the wickets went absolutely everywhere, and ironically, at the end of that season, I went on a, an England Lions, well, what was the England Academy with Rod Marsh, and Keezy, Rob Key was on that trip. All right. He said, My God, he said, you must have been, you know, I remember seeing it in your eyes, you were like a crazed lunatic. Yeah. Um, yeah. I said no, that wasn't me. That was someone else. <laughs> <laughs> so, how long did you stay at uh, Yorkshire? Three years, wasn't it? Three or four years, yeah. Yeah. So we won the championship that year, and then the year after they won, we won the one-day trophy, but got relegated because hmm. we lost the first five games. And then, um, they, I, I, it was amazing. They they got rid of Wayne Clark, who was arguably one of the best coaches they'd had. We've not won the championship for 33 years at Yorkshire. Mm. They won the championship, then they win the one-day trophy, and then they release him. It was a really sort of bizarre scenario, and I loved him. I thought he was one of the best mm. man managers I'd ever experienced. So, so um, you know, during during your time at Yorkshire, did uh, did you see much of uh, Jeffrey Boycott, for example? Was he floating about at all? He did. He, he used to come in. He used to he used to love talking to him. Actually, very knowledgeable about the game unbelievably knowledgeable about the game. Um, very straight shooter, would tell you as it were, yeah. you know. And But I tell you the person I used to love the most being up there was Dickie Bird. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. Loved his cricket and mm. still, still loves his cricket. But he's, he's um, he, there's <laughs> a funny story. So basically we win the championship at Scarborough, right? Mm. And like I said, there were grown men crying. Yeah. There was eight thousand, eight nine thousand there. It felt like twenty thousand. Yeah. Anyway, we had this, we had this sort of dinner to go to at the end of the end of the day, and and Dicky would come in the dressing room and he'd be like, "I'm not coming to that." Dicky, you've got to do, mate. You're Dicky Bird. We've got to get you there. Mm. He said, "I haven't got my suit, lad. I haven't got my." I said, "Dicky, come on, man. You're a millionaire. I'm sure you can. You can, you've got a suit." Yeah. And he was like, "Oh well, I'll see how I go. I'll see how I go." Anyway. So eventually he does, he turns up to this dude and he's got this fantastic sort of tweed number on. Yeah. And we were like, and we were all giving him giving him some stick, like, Dickie, I said, You look you know, you look really good, like you're looking suave. 
And he's like, yeah, he said, I went to Oxfam, lad, and I got it, <laughs> got it from there. About <laughs> 15 with this jacket. I was like, you tight bugger. <laughs> It's all coming out now, then, isn't it? Pardo Solicitors, the friendly law firm based in the heart of Somerset, with offices in Yeovil, Taunton and Bridgewater, with a strong ethos of helping those in our community. If in doubt, check it out with Pardo's on a free no-obligation call or subscribe to our free podcast, The Friendly Law Podcast. For more information, call 0800 862 0442 or visit pardos.co.uk. Pardos Solicitors, looking after you, your family and your business. At AJ Wakeley & Sons Family Funeral Directors, we know the importance of compassion and integrity. We also know how unfamiliar decisions can be so difficult at a time of family bereavement. We can provide a steadying influence just when you need it guiding and helping you make the right decisions to reflect the kind of funeral that your loved one deserves. Visit our website www.ajwakely.com for more information or call Clive Wakely on 01935 479913. When I first started my business, I was hopeless at paperwork. My system involved bunging everything in a shoebox and sorting it out later, much later. Thank goodness for Chalmers Accountants. They soon put me on the right track. They work with businesses of all sizes, and they really know their stuff. Chalmers will provide you with a one-to-one service with your own personal account manager at one of their three local branches. For expert advice on how to make your business more successful, visit chalmersaccountants.co.uk and book your free initial consultation. Horse racing is the sport of kings, and here at Hot to Trot Racing, we have the perfect way to experience the thrill of racehorse ownership at the highest level, but at a fraction of the cost. Hot to Trot Racing operate three syndicates, two on the flat and one over jumps, with each costing just over £2,000 for an all-inclusive share per year. Each syndicate has at least five leased horses who are based with leading trainers in the UK, like Clive Cox, Roger Charlton and Nicky Henderson. A syndicate member's benefits include communication, a diverse schedule of events, badges for racing when a syndicate have a runner, hospitality during the season, including our end-of-season lunch, and a share of the prize money earned by the horses. For more details, contact Sam Hoskins at sam at hottotrotracing.com. Hot to Trot Racing, the sport of kings. Now we've got the Safari Duo and the Bongo Song.
that was the Safari Duo and the Bongo song. So then you moved on to Gloucestershire in 2005. Um, was that just a question of Yorkshire didn't offer you another contract or what? Or did you get headhunted or what? Difficult conversation, this one, Adrian, because I shouldn't have left Yorkshire at the time. I'd been offered a three-year deal mm. and there was a bit of a scenario, a difficult situation going on because we'd just, um, we'd just been told that Sasha's dad was... Um, heaven forbid he's not with us anymore, bless his soul, but he had just been told he'd got cancer. Oh, God, and yeah. I was given I was given quite a... I made, my life was made to feel a bit rough, actually, in that, in that year. And although I got on really well now with Dave Bias, at the time I couldn't understand why he was being so... Um, what's the word? Unreasonable. And, and, and we'd have, like, time off, planned, scheduled... And I'd be bombing it down the motorway from Leeds all the way to Leicester to make sure we were looking after mm. Sasha's, uh, Sasha's dad and, and everything that was going on with that. And he made my life feel awful. He'd say, no, no, you're not. You, we're in for training tomorrow. And I'd say, come on, Gadge. I said, we're struggling here. Um, can you give me some help? And he said, no, it's not my, not, not my problem. You're going to have to deal with it. And so over time, it built up and I was really not enjoying what I was doing, mm. even though I'd signed a three-year deal. I sat him down at the end of the year, bowled all my overs, I've really worked hard. And I said, come on, I said, have I done something wrong here? Have I made, you know, have I upset you? Um, and he's like, no, no. I said, well, something's not right here, Dave. I said, you know, we've, I can't carry this on. We've, unless we get to the bottom of this, I, I, honestly, you're making my life a misery. Well, I, he said, it's not my problem. He said, I haven't got a problem with you. You either like it, what, you either like it here or you don't like it here. And I thought he was trying to edge me out a bit. I mm. couldn't understand it at the time. Anyway, stupidly, I said, ah, forget it then. I'm going to have to leave. And I did. Mm. And it was the worst decision I made, actually, because I should have stayed. And I, I find out after, and this was years down the line, that they were looking to cut back on a lot of the major sort of expenses around salaries and stuff. So they actually got rid of Goffey, they got rid mm. of Chris Silverwood, they got rid of Hoggard, they got rid of me, they got rid of a few others. But I didn't know it at the time that they'd overspent on the ground by about eight million quid. <laughs> Not a lot that new West Ham. Yeah. And but at the time, and I don't think it was Dave Bice's fault, but he I, I don't and he never ever ever admitted this to me. But I just felt as though they were trying to sideline me out a bit and mm. it gutted me if I'm honest. Yeah. And I did. I moved on. I was starting to get pigeonholed as a championship ball and I wanted to be better in one-day cricket. Mm. Uh, and so I was really lucky to get a job or get an opportunity with Gloucestershire, who at that time were winning trophies left, right and centre in one-day cricket. Yeah. And then ironically, I arrived and they never won a thing. <laughs> <laughs> but so anyway, how did it go at Gloucestershire, generally? Yeah, loved it. I loved loved my time there. I learned so much. Um, Mark Elaine was the guy who signed me. Um, probably one of the most astute, uh, tactically astute people I've ever played cricket with or for, mm. uh, Mark Lane. He was, he used to see things in games of cricket that were just, were amazing. He'd see them before they would happen. Um, brilliant cricket brain. Brilliant. Probably one of the best, like I said, I've ever, him and Darren Lehman were probably some of the best I've ever worked with. Yeah. Um, but in particular, yeah, I loved my time there. And then, there was quite a healthy rivalry initially with me and John Lewis. Right. Um, 
and who we then we sort of forged a brilliant bowling partnership together and uh, a brilliant bowler and, and actually a really close friend now mm. um and at the time we were we were we were competitive we were com- we were uh, compete against each other initially but we ended up like i said becoming a really really good partnership and good friends and i learned a lot from him not just about craft um you know he, he always yeah, I learned a lot from him, actually. And I, I learned a lot from being in and around in and one day cricket. And actually, the pitches at that time at uh, Gloucestershire were very flat. Mm. Um, so it taught me how to bowl on flat pitches, really flat pitches, because yeah. Eddingley had a lot of carrying, a lot of pace, and and generally could get quite flat at Eddingley as well, but more often than not was, would, would help the seamers. Whereas Gloucestershire, it, it taught me how to bowl on difficult wickets and actually I really enjoyed my time then because I was then able to get picked on quite a few England Lions trips to India mm. um, which I then learned from bowling on sort of flat low pitches which is what you get in India and granted it wasn't quite as uh, <laughs> wasn't quite as hot in Gloucester as it was no, as I... it was out in Mumbai but uh, the pitches were quite similar um, so yeah I learned a lot there really now we've got a band called Entranced and a song called Set You Free.
entrance there and set you free. Looking back on it now, what would you say was you, you know your biggest uh, biggest occasion, biggest biggest success, um, biggest game at, at Gloucester? Oh. Got well, we did well. I mean, we got to we got to uh, the T20 finals. We got beat against Kent, hmm. uh, where um, McLaren got the hat trick. Um, so that so those were that was a big tournament and a, and a big year. I think it was around 2006. We then won the Pro 42nd Division. I think it was around about 2008, 2007, something like that. Mm-hmm. And then um, all the games that we used to play. I think we played some pretty tasty quarter-final games against Somerset, mm. and all the Bristol Somerset game, uh, Gloucester Somerset games were quite tasty. We used to always love bowling at Tres. Uh, there were there's a couple of good stories there where, um, oh God, I, I did him a couple of times with a slow ball. Um, so I had a decent slow ball at the back of the hand, and I used to, I used to scratch my private parts with a red ball, a a slow ball, and then St- Steve had said would come up quickly from as, as the keeper he'd sort of wouldn't be quite as deep he'd come up as a keeper and, and I remember him nicking one and catching Trez anyway Trez was pretty angry about this yeah. so he found out that I had got this signal somehow I don't know I found out now later on that it was Benny Phillips that had found out that I obviously scratched my private parts when I'm about to bowl the slow ball yeah. so anyway we then play a game at uh, Taunton and I didn't know I was keeping picking my slow ball but every time I bowled the slow ball He'd hit it like into the middle of Taunton, into the Morrison's car park, right? Yeah, yeah. And he got about 180 off about 100 balls. Got him out in the end. But I was distraught, honestly. I was like, he's picking me every time. Anyway, I find out for the for the game coming back to Bristol um, that he knew now what my slow ball uh, signal was. So I'm now pretty much stood at the end of my mark, <laughs> bouncing up and down, trying to scratch my private parts, trying to make him out that I, you know... Anyway, <laughs> he comes charging down the wicket again at me, thinking it's going to be a slow ball, and I yawk him. Yeah. The wicket's absolutely everywhere. The, honestly, it's packed. And I was like, I've got a picture at home here where I've given it this one right yeah. in his face. <laughs> and, and obviously, I've took the job on now, and I've not mentioned it once, which has since I've been back, you know. Oh, right, fair enough. <laughs> well, you just scratch him <laughs> instead. Him, him plenty of stick, <laughs> just just yeah. scratch him instead, you'll get the drift of it. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, so, Somerset, like, moving to Somerset was, a, was, was good, though. I mean, it was difficult to do, but I had to move to Somerset because I, I sort of gave away my, uh, I gave him away my benefit year as well to do that. So, why why did you move though? I mean, what what was the attraction? Well, it was two thousand and ten. Yeah, uh, been offered a benefit year, um, which, to be totally honest with you, at that time when all the crash, the financial crash had happened, I was starting to think I'm stagnating a bit. I had huge, huge, huge ambitions to play for England, but I never wanted any regrets at the end of my career. So, I said, right, I'm going for this. I need to go and play at a division club you know for the sake of whatever it was going to be 50 grand 60 grand at the time and the benefit year if I were lucky because of because of the the way the financial climate was at that time and I thought nah I'm going to take this take this and I didn't it was a good decision Mm. tough decision to go from Gloucestershire to Somerset uh, but the club really understood and they were very appreciative very supportive of me and then actually we then made three finals um, four finals, sorry, in those four years, and uh, finished second in the championship, and then 
got to the last four in the world in the Champions League, mm. uh, which was an amazing opportunity. Um, and it was something that, you know, I, I look back on now and was probably one of the best experiences I had in my career, actually going playing out in India in that Champions League. Yeah, yeah. Talking about playing in India, I mean, how, how many countries have you visited to play cricket for? Well, I don't know. My wife says this all the time to me. I'm quite... <laughs> I, I, if I said, I'm probably the West Indies, all around the West Indies. Yeah. Um, I mean, you're going to be sick now, aren't you? You're going to mm. be sick with me coming out with all these. But yeah, probably. I've been with most most of the most of the islands on the West Indies, South Africa, Australia twice. Sorry, Australia once. Um, New Zealand, uh, India five times. Um, Papua New Guinea, Fiji. Um, You're uh, loving this, aren't you? The UAE, Dubai, <laughs> uh, Sri Lanka, um, Pakistan, yeah, and I'm sure there's more. I never made Pakistan. Well, we played on the border hmm. um, when we played at the at Amaritsa, but right. that was India. That was on the Indian half of the border. Yeah, because Lahore was only sort of ten miles away. Um, and that was the city of the Golden Temple. That was a brilliant place to play. We got beat. And ironically, that, that there was a four-day game. There's a funny story. To I play a four-day game there against India North. So we played in this dual-league trophy, which was North, South, East and West. And England Day were playing in this. And so I played the first... I, I bowled the first ball of this four-day game. It was a good length ball. And my first ball go out, and it's a four-dayer. It goes over extra cover for six. <laughs> and my first over went for 26. Oh, that 24. was good. That was good then. <laughs> And I had this guy out in the fourth over, and he was on 47. Yeah. This is the fourth over of a four-day game, <laughs> and it was a bloke we didn't know anything about at the time, but we do now. It was Mahindra Singh Dhoni. Oh, right. <laughs> oh. And he whopped me everywhere. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you went to Somerset um, for yeah. the reasons that you just said. Um, yeah. You know, who, who was at Somerset when you got there? I mean, who were the main mainstays at Somerset when you were there? It was a brilliant team. Um, obviously, Trash Gothic, mm. Char Willoughby, Peter yeah. Trigo, yeah. Craig Keys, Retta Josh Butler. Um, there was the T20 was Kieran Pollard. Uh, we had Albie Morkel. Um, mm. And I'm missing Alfonso Thomas. He's somebody I mm. learned so much from because I was so in such admiration of the way he bowled Yorkers at the death. Mm. Just wanted to be a brilliant Yorker bowler. And I learned so much from him doing that. And eventually, over those years, I tried to improve my death bowling. Um, so it was brilliant to play with. Um, yeah, Hildreth, who's still yeah. playing, yeah, doing brilliantly. Um, and ironically, the team then would have had the Overton twins coming through. Right, right. Through the academy and Lewis Gregory. Um, you know, and you look at and a young Tom Abel. Mm. <laughs> Coming through then, and you look at it now, and look at the team they've got. Somerset, mm. you know, Lewis Gregory. Look what he's doing in the world. I know. And Tom Abel and Tom and both the Overton twins are fantastic. Yeah. Well, Tom, I, I didn't know Tom then. No. Obviously. Um, but you do now, though. <laughs> you should be very proud of Somerset actually, with the with the conveyor belt conveyor belt of talent 
that the club has produced over so many years. That's my job now to try and keep that going. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, what, what do you think it is about Somerset that attracts such a, a good array of, of players over the years? I mean, not just now, but I mean, you can go right back to the Viv Richards and um, Ian Botham days and all that. They've always had stars, haven't they? They've always had a good side. What, what's, what's, what's the magic formula at Somerset, do you think, for that? Well, there's multiple different reasons um, for what they... It's the environment um, that Somerset create, uh, both from the pathway all the way through into the academy. Mm. Um, so forget the first and the second team environment for the moment. Um, they have got a brilliant structure and a brilliant setup, which Jason Kerr did a great job with. Brian Rose obviously was the instigator of most of it at the start and in starting all of that. But then he put Jason Kerr and Andy Hurry in there uh, Jason then obviously was the academy director for quite a few years, mm. created a brilliant safe to fail environment. Um, and it's not I'm, I'm fantastic that I'm working with him now, but um, it's very, he's a very successful coach. And I could see at that time, it was all about the coaches um, had a good talent ID framework. So they would go out and scout well in and around the Somerset region, um, you know, against, you know, from your Dorsets, your Exeters, you know, you even to a certain extent Cornwall mm. um, and Wiltshire and, and etc. So, you know, there was a really good um, talent ID model. So they were going out and they were spotting talent, and then they nurture it really, really well. Mm. And they pick good characters, so they build good human beings and good characters from a young age. Uh, the work ethic is excellent, and everybody just wants to be the very best they can be every day. Mm. And that is actually. Um, for me, um, sort of encapsulated in, in Tom Abel, really. Mm. Tom Abel is exactly that individual. Mm. He's the fittest, he's the strongest, he's, he's uh, the person that, you know, he's a brilliant role model. Mm. And then if you see all of those lads that are now coming through from the academy, you know, and the environment that's created, it's because they've all got good leaders around. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, I'm 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 very proud to be part of that now, uh, or to be trying to be part of that. I experienced it as a player, mm. uh, but now I've now I'm experiencing it as a coach. It's um, it's fantastic to be on the other side. It's almost like I'm poached to turn gamekeeper now a little bit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but no, it's great. I'm really enjoying it. Right. Final musical track now is called "The Business" and it's by somebody called Tiesto. Let's get down, let's get down to business Give you one more night, one more night to get this We've had a million, million nights just like this So let's get down, let's get down to business Mama, please don't worry about me I'm about to let my heart speak My friends keep telling me to leave this so let's get down, let's get down to business Let's get down, let's get down to business Give you one more night, one more night to get this We've had a million, million nights just like this So let's get down, let's get down to business Let's get down, let's get down to business Give you one more night, one more night to get this Let's get down, let's get down. 
So, so let's let's talk about playing for Somerset then. I mean, uh, you were there for three years, according to Wikipedia. My well, I was there four years, but you couldn't really count my fourth year because I was injured. Right, shoulder. Yeah, yeah. But um, what what was the high spots? You know, the high spots of your career with Somerset. Well, there were loads. There was absolutely loads. Obviously, we to be involved in a team like that. Um, we got to. Um, say I think it was three or four finals mm. um, to not actually get over the line was probably probably the biggest regret uh, not actually winning a championship in that period of time was also uh, quite tough to swallow at the time because it was a hell of a team I mean bowling with people like I said Alfonso Thomas and Charles Willoughby and seeing players like that and how well they um, used to go about their business day in day out Peter Trigo etc Trez mm. you know they're a hell of a team Um but yeah, so I suppose the the actual, I think the Champions League really, yeah. going out there with no Kieran Pollard, no Marcus Dreskothic, no Craig Keys where to start with or Josh Butler, with a team that should have been absolutely wiped the floor with, to be honest, with all the best teams in the world. We had to then qualify in two games, which we did. We beat mm. Calcutta Knight Riders, which were an IPL side. I think we beat... Um, I can't remember the other team we beat but anyway it doesn't matter we, we beat two teams to get into the Champions League mm-hmm. and then when we did we beat Kolkata Knight Riders again we played Royal Challengers Bangalore we played the Titans and beat them we played the Redbacks the, which are now the Adelaide Strikers um, we beat them um, and then actually we got beat in the semi-final uh, to Mumbai Indians with a team like Malinga in it, and Kieran Pollard ironically was playing for Mumbai Indians when he'd been playing for other years. It was just a wonderful, wonderful experience mm. with the team that we had at the time. Uh, was a one hell of a performance, really. And actually, now if you look at you know people like Lewis Gregory and, and players like that, you know they were and the Overton twins. They were involved then. 
Mm. And look at what cricket has, I think that held them in great stead at that age as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, at what point then did you decide that um, the injury was going to get the better of you? Well, I mean, I'd bowled, God, I played 20 years first-class cricket, by, uh, 20 years professional cricket by that stage, and I think technically 15 of them were in first-class cricket. Yeah. So on my shoulder, it took its toll. Mm. I'd had this... I had these tears in my in a tendon. I had a really problem, really big problem with um, what they call a it was a slap lesion in my shoulder. So all the called the labrum in your shoulder. So I had to have a, I had to have a big up, mm. and it was a massive rehab program. And I got back. I got back. I felt pretty good, but I, my shoulder kept getting loose every time I bowled, and it just kept. And no matter what, no matter how much rehab I did, I couldn't get this shoulder back right. And then, ironically, just as I got back from the shoulder, then my my ankle all locked up. I had two or three pieces of bone floating around in my ankle joint. So then I had to have ankle surgery in the same year. And then I came back with the, from the ankle surgery and then straight in with my shoulder. And then I tried, and I was back bowling quick, but then I tried to throw a ball in from the boundary and everything just, just went on me. Mm. And I just knew enough was enough then. Yeah. I was gutted. I really was. But they were very... They were very good about it, Jason Kerr in particular. Mm. Um, and the whole club was very, very um, supportive at a difficult time. I finished two or three years earlier than I wanted to, really. Mm. Mm. But now you're back there. Right, well, as it's a cricket show and we've got room for one more song, why not play this one, I thought.
and the MGs, of course, and the Soul Limbo. Okay, so um, how did the, the offer to come back to Somerset come about then? Well, um, so obviously I, w I went, well, it's a bit of a, a journey in itself, really. So I went to the MCC and I took the job on as head coach at the MCC. Yeah. So that was after two years of being out from cricket and then going into um, recruitment. So I'd, I'd done a really big job with the MCC and with the young cricketer programme and the MCC head coach position. And then I got headhunted to go from there to go and take the job on at Derby, mm. which I was doing a lovely job with Dave Outen and Mal Loy, were loving my time up there and they were great. But the travelling was just killing me. Mm. Um, you know, three and a half hours up to Derby, three hours up to Derby twice a week. Over time, I'd really picked it all up and that was two and a half years up there. Mm. And so I was like, I just worked out that, that Stuart Barnes had been uh, called up for the island job, which he'll do a great job there. He's a great, co great coach. And then I realised that this position was going at Somerset and I got told that it was going. So I went and rang Jace mm. um, and they asked me to go for the job, uh, which I did. It was quite a process. It was really quite a big interview process, quite daunting at one point as well, but really good experience. I enjoyed it. Mm. Um, did a huge presentation in the interview around a few things and then um, like I said it, they left me hanging for a little while and um, to see whether I got the job or not and then they, they told me that I was successful and then I had to obviously work my notice properly with Derby and mm. who I'm greatly appreciative of they were very supportive about the whole thing and, and understood that it was more to get closer to my kids and my family, really. Yeah, yeah, quite. Well, that's important, isn't it? Um, and what about the, the the spell with the MCC? When did that come about? Was that before or after uh, Derbyshire? So that was just before Derby. So basically, I, I finished playing 214, I think, 213, 214. Mm. Um, went, in, went into recruitment with a company called Michael Page, which was a really good... I was in aerospace, automotive and defence, quite boring, but um, taught me a lot. Mm. Um can I be honest, when I finished playing cricket, I couldn't even watch a game of cricket for the first 12 months. Really? If it one came on the telly, I had to turn it off. Yeah, I was devastated. Mm. Um, gutted. Gutted about, you know, and that transition out, out of the game um, was, was, was very tough for me. But then I ended up finding that real desire and love for the game again. Yeah. Um, then the job came up at the MCC and I went for that, which was one, which was a brilliant experience, really good job which I could tell you all about now, um, about what it was all about. It was such, an, such a, a wide, vast job. It not only looked after the Young Cricketers Programme, but we looked after the British universities, you know, the uh, MCC university sites, the foundation hubs, which they, they had at the time, um, over 80 foundation hubs all around the country. Um, then we, uh, we helped initiate the South Asian engagement strategy with the ECB. Um, which I was heavily involved in. And then we also had the Academy, which was a business that was turning over 700 grand to about 1.3 million in the end hmm. down at Lodge. So that was uh, all commercial coaching. And so then we had created partnerships with international countries, which were brilliant. Um, but it was more about creating a, a program where it was a finishing school for a late developer, but not just for players trying to get into professional cricket, what would happen if they didn't get in professional cricket and they couldn't make it, mm. which I had quite an affinity to. If you didn't 
you know, what were they going to do outside of the game? So it was all about bringing on their personal development, their careers outside of cricket as well. So quite a pioneering programme, really. And mm-hmm. we got a lot of success there and I loved it. I really did. It was a great grounding, but it was more head coach, director of cricket position. Mm. And then this opportunity came up to be in the first class game as an assistant coach and lead bowling coach, which I really wanted to dive at, really. Mm. Um, and that's what took me up to Derby. And that's what you're doing at Somerset as well. Same same job description yeah. then, basically. Yeah, exactly yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh well, that, that's 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 good good news. And and you, you've arrived back there now. I mean, how, how's the first sort of what three weeks? I suppose it is now. Is it something like that that you've been doing it? How's it gone? It's been amazing. Um, not. I mean, I, anyone's going to say that, aren't they? Because you you know, I'm like a I'm like a kid in a candy store. You know, I'm back mm. at Somerset. I love it. You feel home, um, and the players are, are amazing. Obviously, at the moment, it's about building relationships. Up. I, I, I knew quite a few of them anyway. Yeah, but there's quite a few young players that I didn't know, so that's going to take some time. Um, and you know, I, I'm not I'm not going into the job to try and make an impact straight away either. Um, you know, I, I believe to be a good coach, you have to build strong relationships over time, mm. and you have to get trust. Yeah. from the players and trust is built and only then can you challenge hmm. um, and you know so I'm not saying I'm not going to challenge because I am but those players have to know I've got their back Yeah, and I yeah. believe the best coaches I've ever worked with are the coaches that I knew had my back and they cared about me and, and that's I suppose the backbone of my philosophy really what I'm trying to do at Sunset to be honest and that's not going to happen overnight no it doesn't. And like I said, the first three weeks have been amazing. Like, I've not, we've got quite a few of the young lads there that I'm enjoying working with, mm. but it's three or four weeks. Yeah. You know, and there's a few lads that are away at the moment, you know, with international duties and things like that. So we haven't got the whole squad in yet. Um, so, yeah, we've, I think I'm getting, I'm getting a feeling now where they've, they've had enough of being indoors. <laughs> they want to get outdoors now. Um, if the weather will let us, I think we're trying to do that around about the 8th of March, weather permitting, um, and see how we go. But I'm and, loving it, yeah. And how has the, you know, the last, well, I suppose it's a year now, isn't it, really, this pandemic has struck. Uh, I mean, how have mm. you found working in the sort of game that you're in uh, and all the restrictions that are being put on you, has it made life really difficult for you? It... Yes, it has. I mean, especially when we were at Derby. Oh, I, spe- I think every county's had this same uh, feeling. Uh, but it, the way I can describe last year would be like being in a boxing match with one hand behind your back. Mm. Yeah. And you're dodging. Yeah. And so so on a neg- that's a negative side of things because you had to just follow all of the... You know, there's only so much. You had to go through group one protocols, sorry, stage one protocols, two and then three. You only work one-to-one with players. Hmm. Then to work to stage two is mini-groups. And then stage three is then when you can get the whole team back together. And it's all about, you know, we've had to change the way that we work specifically as coaches. It's very demanding on the coaches because players have a certain amount of time. But then your time is then, if it's on a one-to-one basis, hmm. you've then having to take your energy, then no matter who you're working with, all day long, and they're quite long days. So it's all about keeping your energy high, uh, keeping them safe, most importantly. That's the most important thing with all of this 
crazy world that we've been in. Yeah. Um, but on a good note, the young lads have had their opportunities. Playing in games at Derbyshire, for example, which you, they would have never have had as much first-class experience as they had last year. And then I suppose, I don't know what Somerset was like last year, but I mean, spoke to Jason, a few of the guys, they did really well. Mm. Um, and it was a good opportunity for them as well. Um, so, you know, out of a difficult scenario, I think there's been some huge positives to take from it all. Have you got any staff working for you, directly to you, I mean? Not so much directly to me. I mean, I have a few people that sort of dotty line into me, I suppose. We're, we've got a brilliant bowling coach in the academy mm. and a lad called Andy Griffiths, um, who's fantastic. Um, I'm not just saying that either. He's brilliant. So, And then I haven't been able to work as much with the pathway bowling coaches yet, through the pathway yet, because of obviously current scenarios with COVID. Mm. So I'm really looking forward to working with them. But my job is not just to bring on the next players and transition them through into the first team, and what have you, but my job is to also support those coaches and those um, young bowlers coming up through the pathway as well. Hmm. Um, so I don't actually have people working for me, but I have a few people that I have to support and help, if that makes sense. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant, Steve. Absolutely brilliant, mate. It's been an absolute joy. And listening to some of your tales, which I hope over the months and years that are coming up, we're going to enlarge a few of those. But, uh, but no, yeah, it's been yeah. very enjoyable. So thank you very much for joining us, Steve. And uh, we'll talk again soon, I'm sure. Well, that was Steve Kirby, the new Somerset bowling coach. And uh, he's going to be joining us on Three Valleys Radio throughout the summer months. So um, I'm sure that'll be uh, a great insight into what goes on at the county ground. Well, that's it for this week's In Conversation. Make sure you join us again next week, same time, same station. In the meantime, keep listening to Three Valleys Radio. This is Three Valleys Radio. The heart is a and you've been listening to the In Conversation programme with A.D. Hopper. No space to in this town. Make sure you join us every week here on Three Valleys Radio. Your love is to